Hello and welcome to the Get Better in Chelmsford podcast with your hosts, Richard Brinkley and myself, Tasha Katz. This is the podcast where we talk all about the no-nonsense side of marketing, where we champion Chelmsford-based businesses and entrepreneurs who are testing, learning and growing, and where we discover that the journey is often more exciting than the destination. In today's episode, we sit down with Kevin Bennett. As head of membership and marketing at the Chelmsford Star Co-op, Kevin has a fascinating story to tell when it comes to marketing for a company that has been in business for over a century. From innovating to connecting with the local community, he has a lot of great insight to share. So let's dive right in. Uh, Kevin, thank you for being with us today. Welcome to the Get Better podcast. Thank Uh, you for inviting me. Good. Um, I think we're quite excited to have you here. (laughs) You'll just be disappointed. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Well, look, you've been a custodian of the Chelmsford Star Co-op brand for over a decade. Mm. The brand itself is 155 years old. It's home to dozens and dozens of stores, big department stores, funeral homes and travel travel agents. agents. Yeah. And the food shops, of course. Yeah. So that's quite a big responsibility. Yeah, it covers a lot of things, that's for sure. And uh, you have to make sure not to get your messages muddled up. If you want to do a big advert for going on a long trip and then you find you're talking about funerals, it can get very messy. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, I can imagine. So um, I I guess think, think about that, though. So there's a brand that's been around since 1867, essentially market itself, or what does... What does marketing look like when, when you're not getting it wrong and, you know, a funeral at the end of a travel? There, there is an element of it marketing, marketing itself for sure, because uh, we have inherited loyalty from previous generations. That's very much a fact. And the co-op has got a good name for that kind of thing. However, tastes change and times change. So you're actually kind of trying to win over a new audience all the time. So it's not just a case of uh, sitting on your laurels. You have to make yourself relevant to the current generation, not just rely on the fact that their parents can remember their grandmother's dividend number from the 1800s. So constant reinvention, how, how, do, how do you go about that very much in a marketing context? Keeping your eyes open, really. I mean, obviously, it's all online and social media at the minute. I think for us, we don't tend to be the spearhead of the new things. We kind of like sit and wait and see what works and what doesn't work. We've been here long enough to know that you don't want to throw all of your eggs into the newest basket because the handle might drop off. You know, you might want to wait and wait and make sure the basket's safe before you put a few eggs in there. So we tend to wait for the new technology to be a bit more tried and tested and then we'll give it a go then. Yeah. And is that has that come about because when you did act as the magpie and jumped in, you got burned by it? Or how, how do you learn that that's your approach? Uh, well, I can only speak for myself, and I haven't been there 155 years myself, <laughs> although it can feel like it sometimes. Um, originally, the co-ops were the innovators, so we were the, the, the rebels. We were doing things in a new way, and we were, um, we were the people that everyone else was afraid of because no one was doing things like the co-op was. But then over time people kind of perfect these things and all of the things that we were doing because it was the right thing to do suddenly became the legal thing to do so you couldn't sell dodgy stuff and you and you couldn't hike up your prices so whilst we've been doing a lot of this stuff for a long long time other people have been catching up now through regulations because of laws and things and then they can kind of perfect it and do a bit better because they have more money behind it because we don't sit on big piles of cash we give it back to people so 
it's a it's a fine balancing act between keeping an eye on what is going on around us but not forgetting where we've come from if that makes sense yeah nice and with all the different so obviously the co-ops started i don't know which in, in which order it started actually and what's the newest part of it but how do you how do you legislate within your activity to go well actually we've got to talk about the food stores now actually now i've got to run a campaign for the travel agents how do you even go about planning that well, i don't get involved in legislation that's for serious people that know what they're doing <laughs> i just kind of like flit around and make it look pretty afterwards um but we have experts in the field running each of those businesses but in terms of which campaign do we talk about next well the answer is we talk about all of them all of the time so we we have to we kind of promote them as different businesses so you've got your travel agent being promoted through one set of channels and then food on another. It does mean that there can be some crossover sometimes, but it it, it definitely means that we're spinning plates constantly. And I just wait to make sure they don't fall. And, and what happens when they do? Um, I usually get my hand smacked. No, they, they don't tend to fall. Uh, we, the, there's just a lot of plates. I mean, marketing, as you guys know, is a broad term. And one minute we could be printing posters another we can be oh social media responses someone's made a moan on facebook you know and then you go straight on to organizing an event or doing a window display it's just it's such a broad term and it's always busy when you've got multiple businesses you kind of have to keep changing your hats as well yeah. i guess there's there's something quite pure about designing and putting up a poster <laughs> it feels like a, a start on a stop to it when you know if we think about that 155 years or even your decade in current role 16 odd years in in the mm -hmm. firm full stop is that sort of dreaded moan on social media that you talk about i mean how do you guys gear up to respond to that i mean do you get much negative press because you're quite physically in the town center or the city center we got a lot of i think everyone got a bit of hard press when it came to lockdown and pandemic because everyone was angry about everything and 50 percent of the people were moaning about having to wear masks the other 50 percent were worrying about not having to wear masks and everyone was just angry and i do think there's a bit of a residual from that i think we're all suffering a bit from ptsd there's a lot of wound up people out there uh, we don't get anything serious sometimes it might be because they wanted to buy a meal deal and one of the elements wasn't in stock you know it's things like that or um or they they bought a pair of knickers and and we charged 5p too much because the till wasn't updated you know there's just silly things and we sort them out pretty quickly it's very rarely anything big and, and scary that we have to deal with sure and thinking about that 16 odd years at chelmsford star co-op perhaps take us all the way back <laughs> and, and and what's what's your journey been within within that brand where do you start for me when i when i started uh we didn't really have social media so this is 2007 and it was around, you know, it wasn't new at that point at all. Um, but we weren't on it. The website was a bit iffy as well. It was very much someone had a quick go in their bedroom in 1999 and it was still up and running. So we were looking at a lot of that. And one of the big things that I was pushing for was starting the Facebook and starting the Twitter and things like that. And that was, people found that scary in, in head office because they didn't appreciate that we were already being discussed out there. We just weren't involved in the conversation. So it just took a little bit of uh, research to say, look, they're, they're talking about us already. We need to be part of this. And I think that opened their eyes. So it's been a journey. 
And then you have to kind of pick and choose what channels on social media you hit. We have a very small team, and you know, Snapchat, Geo, Insta, TikTok, not for me, not yet. Um, YouTube, you know, there, there's, there's so many out there, and we can't do all of them. So which ones are the best ones for us to do? So that, that kind of changes quite often as well. I think it's quite interesting that you said, you know, having to kind of speak to people that have perhaps already been there for, for decades prior, they're established there and you're coming in with new ideas because essentially marketing has to be new ideas all the time. Mm-hmm. Constantly, I think you've said it before, spinning plates. Mm-hmm. What was that like going into, you know, to present them? Because it's one thing kind of presenting the brand to customers, but then going into internally to people working within the team and showing them this is what we need to be showing to our customers that what the brand looks like. You have to get them on board as well to believe that, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes you might want to promote yourself in a way which you know will resonate with a customer or a member in our case, but might not be what business wants you to present Mm. Uh, for example there was a campaign we did for the quadrant the quadrant has had um, a bit of a a tumultuous history there was a phase when we rebranded it the quadrant in the early noughties i think um, it was because there was uh, there were constantly drawing comparisons to this old series called are you being served which was about this old department store which was a little bit um comedic shall we say so we were kind of rebranding it at that point to get away from that. And, and and since then, the quadrant has been seen as this well-kept secret. The people that go in there go in there quite a lot. You get someone new that goes in and you'll always hear them say, oh, I didn't know this was here. You know, oh, this is nicer than I thought. Oh, I've always walked past this building. Uh, so so I was aware that there was this feeling that we were we were kind of forgotten, even though we'd been here for quite some time. You know, you, you have anything up in the same place for a long time and people just become blind to it, right? So the campaign that we brought out was about, oh, uh, I'm really looking for X. I'm going to go to the quadrant. Really? Yes, really. And it was this really yes, really thing which kept caught on quite well. And it, I, mean, I would say it goes viral. I mean, viral is a polite word for it. It was a few years back and we didn't get thousands. But it, it went well and people remembered it. But the people that were running the quadrant thought it was taking the mickey a little bit. But actually it worked because it was bringing people in, it was acknowledging how they were feeling. And there was a discussion. Um, And ultimately, I won. (laughs) (laughs) And do they, do the the guys inside the quadrant were potentially offended by it because perhaps they're not as exposed to its lack of visibility outside that you would have had to put your position in to understand? Uh, yeah, potentially. I mean, the the people on the shop floor knew and were all, all on board, but the the people that aren't necessarily on the battlefronts, as it were, maybe had an opinion in their head. And um, I think the most effective advertising and promotion and marketing has got to be acknowledging what people already think, right? And 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 working with it and going along with it and dragging them along for the ride, as opposed to just stating something to them that they don't actually agree with in the first place. So it, it worked for us because it was acknowledging how we knew that we were perceived and it did bring a lot more people in. And do you think the perception today is vastly different to perhaps 10, 15 years ago when you started out in these roles? Of 
the department store? Yeah, the Quadrant, is... Chelmsford Star Co-op. I mean, I, I think one of my challenges would be is you probably don't associate the Quadrant with Chelmsford Star Co-ops. When people say that, they think of the Co-op logo and the green, not the black yeah. signage and things. So maybe that's one but of the it, challenges. It is, and it's interesting you say that as well because it's a generational thing. We have many people that only refer to us still as the Co-op department store. So we have to be... The department store can get a little bit schizophrenic because we've got these two personalities and we're trying to keep and support and work with and love the customers that we've had for decades that know us as the co-op and they know us for a certain for being a certain person of certain business but we're also trying to win new people in um, and new customers that don't know us as the co-op i'm trying to bring the co-op message back in because the the uh, the reputation of co-ops is 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 better understood and isn't viewed as it was about 20 30 years ago um and it's a it's a bigger, better name now. So we're incorporating it a bit more. Is there a is there a conflict between that old guard of customer and trying to new the bring the new ones in? Are they generationally different? Are they attitudinally different? Are they in different channels? Do different things resonate with them? How do we how do we kind of bridge that? I think attitudes are the biggest. It's not even necessarily down to age because there are some eighty year olds that think younger you know and then you've got some 50 or 60 year olds that are far older so it's just catering to both really and trying to do the best we can for both sets so we will promote in a certain way online for the younger minded people but online and posters and in the shop itself or in the newspapers we might promote to a different audience so it's finding a way that will resonate and the and the way to reach them that's appropriate and um Kevin, perhaps help help me out, help the listeners out here, because I think everyone looking in from the outside will go, Chelmsford Star Co-op, been around for a long time, got lots of different assets. Marketing must be, there must be strategy decks and organisation and paperwork and everything saying, well, we know all these personas and we've got this planned out for the next you know, three years and we know what we're doing and where we're going. Talk about that for me. <laughs> is that is that true? How do we do it? Um, we work quite well with calendars. So we, we plan our years out. We've got one big calendar for everything, and then we divide it up into the businesses. So you get your food, travel, etc. cetera. Um, social media is a whole other thing. I know some companies that plan every social media content and post for months. We don't have time for that. A lot of what we do is reactionary. A lot of what we do is an element of flying by the seat of our pants, if I'm honest. But um, myself and my team know know what the aim is we meet on a regular basis so even if we haven't sat down to write everything out what we intend to do we do it because we we're good at our jobs um i think a lot of people we've got our strategies obviously we've got documents we've got our intentions for the year but we're not necessarily writing out right on the 3rd of january 2024 we're going to post about this because it might not be relevant. So it's very much, we'll have a general picture, we'll know roughly what we're spending in what pots when, and then we'll find you in the messages near the time. Yeah. So there's so there's a good purpose to it, but wonderful agility to the rest of it. And we don't have to have planned it to the nth degree mm. to have a marketing plan or strategy, as people might call it. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have a plan for sure. And it's good to have a strategy, but you don't have to, you don't have to, box yourself in so 
the, the end of your your strategy might be i want this many new members or this many new customers okay you know roughly what channels you're going to be targeting but you don't have to say this is my specific message this is this is what works for us anyway i think it's quite interesting because you said reactionary on social media i think there's something to that right when you're working for a brand that's been going on for over 150 years you started out as this innovator co-op was founded out of innovation and there are still elements of that as you go along but it's also now to maintain that brand longevity right and brand loyalty you have to kind of see what the market wants and what your what your mm. members want and in a way react to that or perhaps you know anticipate what they're looking for as well how how do how does how do you challenge how do you manage that uh, i mean some of it also is is even bringing in a bit of pop culture so um specifically with the food business strictly is about to be on the telly make sure you've got x y and z you know or i'm a celeb whatever it happens to be and, and the football tournaments and things like that so we always build that stuff in um it could also even be in the department store it's raining stick on a post about umbrellas or um you know that kind of thing it's super sunny today so we've got fan heaters in in, in the houseware department so that's the kind of thing I mean that you have to you have to take in what's going on around you, whether that be on the telly, whether that be the weather, whether that be just what people are talking about at that time and trying to find a way to apply it to you. Can we talk a little bit more then about also the history? So I think you were involved, right? You, you celebrated 150 years, was it in 2017? Yes. Um, and I think there was a, a book published on celebrating 150 years of Co-op in Chelmsford. Mm-hmm. How, what what do you think about the history of co-op and, and what made you perhaps even decide to join the company in the first place? Because it's a really coloured history, you know, there's so much to it. Yeah, I must admit, I didn't know any of this when I joined. <laughs> um, the co-op seems to get two types of people working for it. Either the people that come in and love it and it gets in their blood and they see what they're trying to do and they understand the reasons for it and, and, and it, gets, it gets passionate. And this is why I talk about it on a regular basis. Or you get people that come in and think, oh, I could earn a bit more elsewhere. Or, you know, they've got other priorities and, and they come in for a bit and then they go. Um, but I didn't know anything really about the history when I joined. And I learned it. They, they do like an induction when you start. So you find out a little bit about it. And then when we came up to the 150th, I was doing a lot of the research myself. We've got documents in the records office. Uh, we have um, one of our longstanding members wrote a book for the 120th or, or something like that. So we, we incorporated some of that and I've got all of these old photos and we did an exhibition and I kind of became the unofficial, I was going to say archaeologist, that's not the word, is it? Curator. It's, that's the one. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking more Indiana Jones. but um, I came the unofficial version of that. So we put it all together. Um, I compiled this 150th book. We sold out of them, although you can read it on our website. Um, yeah, and I learnt it through that. And and it does get to you, and, and we are doing a lot of good. People don't necessarily know it because they associate most of memberships now or loyalties with what you might get for a supermarket like Tesco's or Sainsbury's, and they do a lot of good too, but it, it, as a proportion of what they make, it's a lot smaller. There's a lot more money for them to spend on other things. Um, yeah, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, like that. I think it's it's just really interesting, right, because not any – I think you've – is the co-op in Chelmsford the second oldest in the city? 
Ooh. Right. Okay. I think, and I might, I'm prepared to be proved wrong. I think it's the oldest business left in Essex now, other than the Essex Chronicle. Right. And even the Essex Chronicle, I think, has been taken over a few times. Yeah. Um, the only other one I was aware of was Love Days, which is next door, which was a jeweler's, and that's now gone, which disappeared, which is a real shame. Um, but yeah, someone could try and prove me wrong, but I'm pretty sure we're one of the oldest now. But I think that's really interesting, isn't it? That what you said about Love Days being is now no longer on the high street and the high street as a concept has changed so much over the decades. And even just in the last five years, mm. it's changed drastically. And I think during COVID, there was a real sense of, well, I got, I got the sense that people felt felt like the high street was never going to return. It was never going to be the same again. People didn't want to go. And then actually, we kind of all got proved wrong in that we wanted to get out. We wanted to go back to local, right? We didn't want to go to the major, big, huge um, chains and kind of lose that connection. Whereas you go to the high street and you see what's kind of local and been established there for a long time. And you mm-hmm. feel kind of connected to that community again. How, in the time that you've been working with Co-op, how have you seen even just Chelmsford evolve and, and, and the high street and what does that look like in terms of the business as well? Hmm. It's definitely changed. I mean, I've got images of the high street going back 150 years now and it actually looks quite similar. I mean, it doesn't look vastly different. I think there's more sheep wandering up and down it in the 1900s. <laughs> um, but it doesn't look too dissimilar. I think there's a lot more estate agents and hairdressers now than there would have been. Uh, it has changed since after lockdown. Um People buy a lot more online, but they are a bit more selective. So some things like furniture, for example, they want to come in and sit on it and try it out and and see what it feels like. Uh, Same with beds and and stuff like that. Even clothing, people got through a stage of buying all clothes online and then sending back what they don't want. And it just, you know, with less post offices now, and I know we've got postal services and things replacing it, but it's just a little bit more difficult. So people do want to come out and, and get things still. Um, but some of the smaller items, they don't bother coming in. So the nature of the shops are changing and, and they're kind of providing more experiences. This is why you're getting far more uh, restaurants and far more takeaways and things like bubble tea. I don't know what bubble tea is, but there seems to be a lot of them somewhere. Um, and this is because people want tangible stuff that they can experience and feel and taste that they can't get online because the way people buy things have changed. But yeah, you're right. They want to come in and they want to have they want to get out of the house but only if it's worth it and it has to be the right purchase. I think um, what, why, has, why has it survived so long? So if I think back to those sort of sheep in high street kind of days, <laughs> you know, you, you, you talk about perhaps a bit of innovation there, but has it survived because you've mentioned brand loyalty, so it's got very loyal customers. Has it survived because of its diversification? I you know, think, I think it, that's the answer. Um, the I mean, you have to look at the other department stores around. I mean, can you find another department store around anymore? It's it's an increasingly difficult world. Obviously, Debenhams have gone. I think a few other names are a little bit iffy on the cards. Um, and it is difficult. Our department store business have been struggling for some time. I think there might be one other co-op department store left in the entire country. We've got two, and that, that's about it. Um I think one of the reasons that we're able to survive is that we do have the other businesses. So we've got the food businesses, which tend to do okay in the funerals and the travel. I mean, travel's a bit iffy as well at the minute, just post lockdown up and down. It's all over the place. Um, but having, having these other options just helps us 
weather the storm. So if one of the businesses is having a rough time, then we've got other options that are feeding the society as well. And that does definitely help. Yeah. And have each of those different aspects of the business, and you said that you treat them as different businesses, been born out of the other? Is it? Have you followed some of the personas and customers through their sort of journey through life or how, how does the co-op end up where it ends up <laughs> i know exactly when uh, the diversification started um, in i'm going to bore you now so <laughs> in the 1920s uh, actually no it was earlier than that the the building on the high street or the quadrant building that you know of now was burnt down by jealous workmen so at the time, we just started selling hardware and other bits and pieces like that. And because of reasons that we've stated before, co-ops do things a bit differently. We're not there to make a profit. We were selling things at a fairer price. Local businesses didn't like it. Burn the shop down. As you do. You know. no, <laughs> we don't condone that behaviour. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a competitive strategy, no. but I'm sure... I'm I'm awesome. It worked briefly, um, but we, we stayed trading and we were operating on the side of the river and we, we, we kept business going uh, while we rebuilt. Uh, but at that point, we decided not to have all of our eggs in one basket. And it was from that that into the 1930s, we bought the, the, the funeral business and the travel business because we, we obviously could see what our customers at the time needed. Uh, and we wanted to kind of provide those aspects too. Um, but that was when the diversification started because we nearly went under. And it's similar. In um, After World War II, a couple of our shops were bombed because we were on the way back from London. Everyone has to clear all their bombs. Marconi was a no-buy target. so uh, And we lost quite a few of our businesses then. And, and again, having these other options just meant that we could weather that storm too. And, and it's still the case now, but we're talking recession and lockdown and pandemics instead. It's just... How do you get through those hardships and you just have to put your head down and get on with it? So, so it sounds like to me that you've marked two points in history that were quite severe adverse events that fueled innovation or quite big decisions within the business yeah. to do something differently. Yeah. So I guess looking for that positivity out of the negative stuff, is that is that a trait of the the, the business and perhaps the board and the management team? Yeah, but I think that's also a trait of anyone that wants to survive. So it, the reason that we he are here this long and anyone survives these things is because they have to adapt and they have to change. Uh, for us, after a pandemic, we went online in a way that we hadn't done before. And that was something that we'd already always dragged our feet on. And we've still got a long way to go, but we're we're on there now and we're, and we're taking online sales in all of our businesses. So that's something that bore out of that situation from us. But yeah, you have to change. And I think... There is a desire to change and there's a there's a desire to provide the service in the way that our customers and members want it, however that happens to be. Because if you're not doing what your customers want, then they're not going to shop with you. And you, you say what your customers want, which is a really, really good point. So the business might decide to go in different directions or there's various uh, the climate, the economic climate or whatever's going on in the world might govern some of the decisions. But is, is marketing and the marketing team the tip of the sword in sort of pivoting and helping make these decisions and feeding back into the business? Oh, for sure. And I think I might be uniquely placed. My role, my head of, my, my job title is head of membership and marketing. And the membership side of things is very important for a co-op because co-ops are owned by their members. That's the whole point of them. That's why they get their payout and things like that. And I report to a committee and a council of members 
clients multiple times a month. So I hear from them what's important to them. Then we put business practices into place and it all gets reported back to the board and the board report back. So there's this ongoing communication between um, the executive team and the board of directors who are members themselves. And that's how they got there. Uh, so it's it's constantly about finding out what people want from us and to get some of our members slash customers in a room and talk to them on a regular basis. You can then make sure that you're doing what's expected and they can understand your reasons for doing things that they might not otherwise know about. And and you you sound as though you have to do that because you are owned by your members. But is that not just sound advice to anyone mm. to be really listening and plugged into that? And secondly for marketing and the guys going out there and delivering the message to be plumbed into more than just the marketing department. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you're not listening to your customers, then what's the point? Mm. Right. Um, we, we do have to talk to our members as part of a co-op. We do it a lot more than other co-ops do. Don't get me talking about different types of co-ops because <laughs> that is a conversation in itself. Uh, but we, we talk to, we, we effectively have forums on a regular basis and then we have a committee which look at all the, community involvement that we do and then it goes up to the board and so in total we're probably looking at about 40 meetings a year i think that is quite a lot because a lot. at some point you have to do and you can't just talk about it mm. um and it's not just me doing all of them we've got the exec team and they all talk about different things with them um but yeah if you're not listening to if you haven't got your ear to the street then you're not necessarily selling something that people want yeah. yeah, I think people can often, when you're so in your business or working within the company and you're really involved, you can kind of become blind to that, right? Because you forget that marketing isn't just doing making something look pretty, which it is. There's definitely an aspect of that to it. You have to look good. You have to be presentable and it has to have an aesthetic and a brand visual. But ultimately, it's got to tap into your audience. Mm. And yeah. I think, yeah, that's a really important lesson, really, for any business owner, any any person, you know, trying to market a service or a product out there. I had um, a couple of questions as you were talking there, Kevin. There's There was one thing about brand continuity, because obviously the co-op has evolved so much over so long, so much time. How has it, and if it has, how has it maintained what it is at its core have you are you always guided by a set of brand guidelines values is there something that makes the co-op chumps star the co-op mm, i mean the co-op does have an official set of values and principles it's effectively being ethical basically and being fair and that's kind of what override overridely governs everything that we do um obviously we're a business at the same time because if we don't make money then there's no business there to be fair and ethical in the first place. Um, but it does guide how we make some of our decisions. And we always try to do the best for the right reasons. We've been supporting Pride for as long as I can remember. We were talking about um, equal rights for women before Emily Pankhurst was about. So it's something that we've we've always strived to be. As a, and that's kind of what made us different from everyone else at first because no one else was doing that at that time because it wasn't high on the agenda. Um, we were supporting fair trade before fair trade had a name. But now you've got social responsibility box to tick, sustainability boxes to tick, and green policies. And so everyone's getting on board, and that's fabulous. But we have it in our DNA. That's why we're there. 
And I think actually that taps really nicely into the next question, which was about community. Um, the co-op has intri- intrinsically always been linked to the local community because, like you say, it was founded out of innovation for supporting that community. Mm. And it continues to do that to this day. Um, what sort of kind of initiatives, programs, events do you, are you involved with? What events do you run during the year? How does that tie in with the brand? Well, it's a bit different now than it used to be. Back, back when co-op started, it was about meat shortages and child labor so and and, con- and contaminated food that was quite a big one um so you know nowadays that's that's sorted we've we've all moved on from that everyone's good uh, at the moment it's there's a lot to do with animal welfare and fair trade which is great i mean we kind of plug in with the other co-ops to do work on that um but locally we do a lot more when it comes to supporting other community groups uh, we've got a, um, a community fund, which is a grant-giving fund. We do a lot of um, litter picks as well, big co- big co-op cleanups. So we're aware that uh, you know some people that come out of the co-op, they might have just eaten their food to go and don't necessarily use the bin. So that's something that we're aware of as well. So we'll try and get a, a few cleanup events scheduled throughout the year and, and things too. But it's just being aware of not just yourself, but the behaviour of your customers too and... Um, looking out for the community as a whole. And, and I guess all of these initiatives and things like fair trade and having these stories and these narratives to, to sort of talk about, I guess they serve as marketing campaigns themselves without without being too, mm. you know, we're not, we're not naive, right? We know that when we do good and actually we deliver upon that promise, it, it offers us wonderful things to talk about in marketing. So is that half the strategy to go out and just be a good citizen? It should be. I wish we had more time to talk about what we've done. A lot of people will be surprised to hear it. We, we, do, we do what we do and then what we, and we stick up a press release and there's a picture, you know, and we should follow up on that more than we do. It's difficult when you're, you're always looking to the next thing to give enough credit to what you've already done sometimes. So it's something that we need to to do better is to re-engage with people that comment on these posts to to share them to the appropriate groups. You know, if we've done a, a in a neighbourhood, you've got hyper local strategies now where you can actually go into a Facebook page for that community and things. There's there's so much that you could do. We just we're just busy trying to keep up with what we're doing and moving on to the next thing. And uh, if if I had one thing that I would want more of is more time in the day to acknowledge what we've actually done already. And I guess where you do so much good and you're kind of, there's a constant always on to doing these things, do people become blind to it as well? Does there come mm. a point where you have to think, I've got to be innovative in my community engagement. I've got to be innovative in the charitable work I do because people have stopped listening? Yeah, very much so, and uh, and that can be difficult because one of the big supermarkets what might do one donation a year, they'll put so much money promoting that one donation that they've done, and everyone gives them a round of applause. Meanwhile, we're at the back, <laughs> scrabbling to give out some more money and and not being able to afford decent carpet because of it. You know, it 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 can be quite frustrating. Um, a lot of media, newspapers, online and in print won't refuse to publish a check photo if you give someone money they don't want it what they want is to see how that money has been spent let's have a picture of that money being used but whereas a lot of companies will only provide 
grant for a thing that they can take these photos of. So many uh, charities and community groups that we help just want money for rent or to pay for petrol so that they can get the cars going. And you can't get a nice, sexy photo from that. <laughs> well, you can try it, but it might be a bit weird. Um, so, we're I, yes, we need to promote what we do better, but that isn't why we're doing it. We're doing it because it's the right thing. I think there is a lot of that going around in a lot of businesses. There are... There are conversations about big name brands where they talk a lot about what they're doing, all this good for certain projects and charities and organisations. But then you look behind the scenes and actually, like you say, maybe just one thing in a whole you know, five year period. Or actually, if you delve in deeper, there's not really there's some ethical questions around it as well. Mm. But the co-op from what you're saying is it's it is the brand. It is the life blood of the brand and you live and you act on it it's not just a look we're ethical it's not slapping on a sticker and saying do you know what I mean carrying on with everybody's jumping on that bandwagon of we're green we're ethical we're all of this we're all of that but I think actually the co-op one thing that does make it stand out in a very noisy crowd is that is exactly that it lives and stands by those values mm, thank you uh, one of the um the last awards we won which was, I think it was just before lockdown, 2018, I think it was. And see, don't get, all right, award ceremonies generally, I don't like because you have to pay money to enter them and you enter yourself, you know, and I'm not big on bragging, otherwise I'd be talking about this a bit more. <laughs> um, but we were, we went up against, it was a national award and we were up against some big names, including some charities, and we won best in the UK for community involvement. So this is Chelmsford style. We're not talking about the cup as a whole. This is just us in Essex, 40 food shops, two department stores, best in the UK for community involvement. Um, and that's a hell of an achievement, isn't it? But if we kept entering these awards, I'm sure we could get some more, but I object to paying the kinds of money that people want for us to be able to be up for that. It's not like things. the good old days, is it? It doesn't No, It's just, it's a game in itself. And it's frustrating because you want the person to win an award to be the best of it, not because they've paid you the most money to get tickets to a table. So we don't tend to enter those things now just because we've got money that we'd rather be doing better things with. And I think as I listen to you speak, Kevin, it's it's quite clear that perhaps one of the biggest component parts of business's success is a point you touched upon earlier which is about this employee the 50 percent that come because they want to be part of that journey they want to do the right thing and they stay they choose they choose the lifestyle rather than the career mm. so they want to be there and they want to do good things so is is that is that officially part of a kind of hiring policy perhaps i'm not allowed to even ask that question these days but I, so much of it if you're going to if you're going to involve yourself in the community if you're going to do lots of charitable things that's a certain type of person that you have to employ uh, well i wouldn't say our hiring policy is uh, care for the world and we'll pay you less <laughs> 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 no um no we we talk about what we are and, and what we do and um why we do it and then people can make up their own mind but uh it's it's no more than that it's and this is just my own feelings as well i'm sure other people have other thoughts but um, I think that's why some of the people stay is just because what we're doing, what we try to do, is better than a lot of other people might be. And we've reflected a lot on the past, 
do we know what the future might be for the well, co-op? This is another one of those periods where we've got our head down and we're just trying to get through it. Things are tough at the moment. You've got energy prices soaring. We pay more than the living wage, so the wages are going up as well, pension contributions. So we kind of go through these cycles, and at the moment it's a case of let's keep doing what we're doing as well as we can do it, but ultimately let's just get through it, and then we'll worry about making it pretty when we come out the other end. Yeah, that, coming back to that adaptability, right? Mm-hmm. And listening into to what people want, what the audience want, what customers want. Well, um, I think just the last question then, Kevin, <laughs> you look nervous. <laughs> it's an exam. We've got a roundup question for you. No, um, where can we find you? Obviously, people do know the co-op, but where where should we? Where's the best place to hear about the co-op and what you're doing? Well, if you want to go online, uh, pretty much all of our social channels are at C Star Coop. So co-op without the hyphen. C for Chelmsford, S for Star Coop. That's where most of our channels are. Um, search for Chelmsford Star, you'll see us there. Um, or come into one of our shops and spend some money, please. Yes, head over <laughs> to the quadrant. It's Christmas. So. Absolutely. <laughs> you have a huge amount of gonks in there. We need to shift them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, Kevin. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, there's so much in there. I think we could have talked about this for a lot longer, the, like the history, your own journey with, with the co-op and everything. So really, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank, thank you very much. And if you want to read about the history about us on our website, there's a, a digital version of the book that we put together. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. You've been listening to the Get Better in Chelmsford podcast with your hosts, Richard Brinkley and Tasha Katz. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe. And remember, you can tune into the full series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>